this episode, we are talking with Gina Anderson, Core Knowledge Curriculum Coordinator at TASAS Portugal. Gina shares with us insights and lessons learned from their journey to full core knowledge implementation in an international setting. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Building Knowledge Podcast. Today, I have with me a very special guest coming to us all the way from Portugal. This is Gina Anderson, and Gina Anderson works at one of our international schools, TASAS Portugal, um, that uses our core knowledge curriculum. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the program. Hi, Kristen. The first thing I'd like for you to share with us is just talk to us a little bit about your school um, and what your role is there. All right, so our school is in our, we're in our second year of operation. We started in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. And we are the fourth of four uh, TASIS schools. TASIS stands for the American School in Switzerland, which is where the original is. There are also sister schools in England and Puerto Rico. And yeah, so we were just started by the TASIS Foundation as the newest school. And my job here is currently uh, the Core Knowledge Coordinator. Last year, I did that full-time, and this year, I was really missing the classroom, so I asked if I could do that part-time and then teach fifth grade CKLA and CKHG part-time as well. So it's I've had a dual role this year, a little bit of both worlds, but it's been really fun. It's been a lot of work. <laughs> it's been really fun. So you also have worked at other core knowledge schools, correct? Yeah, most of my teaching experience is actually in core knowledge schools. My very first teaching job in 2005 was at a public charter school in Utah that was a core knowledge school. And that's actually how I became associated with the TASA schools in the first place. Um, I was on the core knowledge website looking for international core knowledge schools and came across TASIS and the rest is history. So uh, most of my teaching experience has been in core knowledge schools. So can you tell us a little bit about how core knowledge was actually brought to, I know, TASIS in general, and then Portugal specifically, and why they chose core knowledge? So when the elementary school in TASIS, Switzerland was founded in 2005, I think it was, it, the founders were big fans of E.D. Hirsch and, you know, his, his books. And so that was kind of a no-brainer for them when they founded that elementary school. And since then, that's been the requirement. Anytime a TASA school opens with an elementary school, it's to be a core knowledge school. So when they were making plans to come to Portugal, it didn't really matter where they were going. They knew that it would be a core knowledge school. So that's one of the things that is a, we were just talking about it today in a meeting. Actually, it's a non-negotiable that's something that regardless of what changes we go through, it's important enough to our board, our founding board, and the TASIS Foundation board that we will always be a core knowledge school. What materials are you currently using? Um, we use in pre-K through grade six, we use CKLA. We've um, just used the brand new sixth grade this year. Last year, we just used the sequence. We have in kindergarten through sixth grade, we use CKHG materials. And in music and art, and in seventh and eighth grade, we use the Core Knowledge Sequence. 
So we, and we don't have too many materials for that. We have some text resources, but we've bought novels to, that go along with the sequence and, you know, just found a few things that complement the sequence. So most of our materials are CKLA and CKHG. So I'm really interested to find out what are some of the obstacles that you have faced with implementing core knowledge in this international setting, um, kind of specifically because we do weave in so much of so much American history, you know, even in our CKLA program. Yeah, that is that has been one of our obstacles. Our, our biggest obstacle has really been people that don't know it and don't understand the idea of a knowledge-based curriculum. But um, specifically for an international school, you know, we're in Portugal, at least 30% of our kids are Portuguese. We have a very small percentage of Americans. And so it's been interesting, to say the least, to try to balance the Americanness of core knowledge language arts with the fact that we are in a very not American place. And, you know, we make it clear this is an American school, so there will be American history. We're not going to completely eliminate that, but we do minimize it. In CKLA, we do all of the all of the domains, all of the units, regardless of whether or not they're American history. And that's kind of how we fulfill the American part of our curriculum. But in CKHG, we've chosen to only use the world history units. And sometimes those complement what's in CKLA and sometimes they don't. But we don't teach American history outside of CKLA. We do that with world history, but not American history. And it's been challenging. I, our, we have four, like our four represented nationalities in our, among our staff. I mean, there are more, but the big four big groups are Americans, British, South Africans, and Portuguese. You know, so Americans are the minority. And so there is sometimes this, like, why am I teaching American history? I am a South African living in Portugal. <laughs> And so sometimes there's that conversation of, yes, it's an American school. There are certain traditions we adhere to, you know, we're trying to balance that out. Um, and just recently we've undertaken finalizing our scope and sequence for Portuguese history and making that a part of our curriculum. And that's one thing that I've been working on is trying to balance it to honor and acknowledge the country that we're in, but to also honor and acknowledge our founder and the traditions that we were founded on regardless of how many Americans we actually have working here. So that has been a challenge, but, you know, once people have gotten into CKLA in general, they, it's, it's fun to teach regardless of where the history is from. And we do have some British people that are really interested in American history. So they have that enthusiasm that even some Americans don't have for American history, but it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like I said before, that it was a non-negotiable, core knowledge is non-negotiable. That's kind of how we've approached American history. I understand it might not be your favorite thing to teach, but this is an American school and we will, we will do that. And people really, they, sometimes they might not like it, but they eventually get on board and they do it because that's just who we are. Have you ever had any parents question that? especially the ones that are, that are native to Portugal? Yeah. Um, well, mostly we've had a couple ask things like, how do you approach things like Columbus, you know, without whitewashing it? How do you approach 
slavery, those, how do you, you know, Portugal is very proud of their explorer heritage. And we wanted to be sure to address the dark side of that European exploration, which core knowledge actually does a really great job of in CKHG. And so that, those were, those are a lot of the conversations. Like how do you address these topics without glorifying these people? Um, but our native Portuguese, I, to my knowledge, we haven't had too many complaints from native Portuguese people. Uh, we have had some say, I want more American. I want more American influence. Like I'm at American school for a reason. Um, and so it's hard, but it's hard to really balance what everybody wants. You know, there, we have some parents that would probably love to have no American history and some that think Portuguese history is a waste of time. Cause I'm an American and this is an American school. So that's why it's been tricky to find the right balance to not necessarily make everybody happy, but do justice to all of the topics. So we've kind of, I've personally in my head have prioritized it. World history is our first priority. American history is our second priority and Portuguese history is our third priority. And so that's kind of how we communicate that to the teachers. So talking about teachers, what have you done in terms of professional development and then ongoing support with teachers in terms of wrapping their brain around, you mentioned earlier, this idea of knowledge-based learning that some of them may have never been exposed to before? So at the beginning of the year, both years, I've done a presentation about what is core knowledge because we, and I, I encountered this in the United States as well, that we get teachers who think it's the common core, you know, which of you and I know that's a very <laughs> different beast. Um, so I do a presentation just defining why and what is it. It's just really simple. It kind of breaks it down. And that's really just a, an opening for these teachers to ask their questions. Because once we do that, they have a lot of questions. And I this year, I did a, a little mini training on how to implement CKLA. And I, I meet with I meet with the music teachers, I meet with the art teachers, try to help familiarize them with the sequence, um, try to help them find resources. I spend a lot of my time, not now because we're coming to the end of the year, but most of the time I spend as a core knowledge coordinator is with is me observing and doing one-on-one -on -one conferences and coaching. Uh, before I came here, I was an instructional coach for a few years. And so I've been able to kind of marry the curriculum part with the instructional part. And it, and it just try to provide support. Sometimes that is, it looks like us just sitting down and planning a lesson together. Sometimes it's me observing them and then, and giving them feedback. I try to go based on what teachers seem to want and what they express. I, I have plenty of teachers say, come and watch me do this lesson and tell me if I'm doing it right, which I always love that because it, opens the door for really good conversations. Um, a lot of it has been kind of educating teachers on the science of reading because we do have plenty of teachers that were, maybe the word I shouldn't use is indoctrinated, <laughs> but are familiar with whole language, balanced literacy, units of study, those type of things. Um, so one thing that we and the leadership team have learned is that we've had we came in with certain assumptions about teachers and what they knew and what they did. And, and we've had to backpedal a little bit 
to give some basic training and professional development on the science of reading. Because once we can kind of pinpoint the importance of the knowledge part of the science of reading, we find that they have a better, a better chance of getting on board. So uh, for us, it's a lot of like basic education, honestly. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that that is, it's so funny because that's not unique, I don't think, mm. to international schools. I mean, there's plenty of, of teachers here in the States oh, yeah. and instructional coaches are coming up against that same issue of just educating and um, I call it reprogramming. Right. Just because we get set in our ways. And now they're saying you have to learn something new. But when you open up their eyes and they can open up their minds to the, these ideas of the science of reading and the two locked box phonics and knowledge that you need both of that for reading comprehension, if they're able to internalize that and really understand it and then continue to get support from people like you, then they're usually successful. Um, so. And we do, we, we revisit that a lot. Um, Cause you know, we have teachers that are, that lean towards just the skills. I want, I'm going to cut out the knowledge because I just don't have time for it. And that's where I come in just trying to help them keep that balance that, like you said, the two lockbox, these are both important in their different ways. Um, but we do have, sometimes we have teachers that kind of look at, at the knowledge part as just a fun little read aloud. And so part of, and it is fun. And honestly, you know, when I first started teaching core knowledge, what convinced me of it was not any of the science, not any of the research. It was that it was fun to teach and the kids loved it. And so, I, you know, when I have teachers that are like, I love core knowledge. And I say, why do you love core knowledge? Because the kids love it. Like that's enough of a reason for me. Because if I've got that, then I can, I can then actually teach them something and, and give them the science behind it and the research behind it. You know, like one, one example that I've used a lot here that really hits home is the baseball study, you know, and, and I, we've done demonstrations about like the, giving them a, a paragraph to read about cricket and they're so confused. And, and those kind of things really hit home about the importance of background knowledge. And so we're slowly building that Right now, a lot of our teachers just teach it and like it because they have to or because the kids like it. But I'm hoping to eventually over time, um, over time, eventually that they will also be equipped with the knowledge of why, not just, you know, because it's fun, but it is fun. So. So I have one final question. We actually have quite a few listeners in the international community. Uh, we are making a lot of traction in Australia in particularly, but um, we do have several school, international schools like you all, um, other places throughout the, throughout the world that really want to use core knowledge. So what would be your advice if they wanted to set up a school in an international setting and they want to use core knowledge? I would say, I think the thing that has helped us be most successful is that our headmaster, he has been given this task by our board that this is what we do, core knowledge. And he has not wavered from that. 
And he makes it very clear in interviews. And I sit in on a lot of those interviews for that reason, make it very clear that this is what we do. And if you're not willing to do it here, then this is probably not the right place for you. So he's building that culture that this is not optional. And so I, I would say like, it's been hugely helpful in my role that when I go in to a class and tell a teacher, this is how, what we're prioritizing. This is what it should look like because this is the core knowledge way. If they, if they want to do something different, they know that our headmaster has my back because at the end of the day, we're doing it the core knowledge way. So I say all that to say, I think if you have leadership that is committed to it and you hire people that are also committed to it, that I think that's been our biggest thing is that we've been in lockstep the whole time. He has my back. I have his back. And so we've created that culture where this is just what we're going to do. And it's going to be hard, but we're going to make it work. And I think if you've got someone that can do that, you're going to start out strong. And I think another important thing to keep in mind when you're going in is to like, look, obviously you need somebody who is familiar with core knowledge, who's familiar with CKLA, who's familiar with the sequence and be really deliberate about in the international setting, how are you going to address American history? Because I think that was something that we, we did talk about it before, but I don't think we talked about it enough. And I don't, and you know, we were a brand new school. So it was, we were all on our best behavior and we, you know, kind of said things maybe that we weren't sure about, but we, we should have spent more time deciding, being more deliberate about how are we going to do American history? How are we going to do Portuguese history? Do we have the time allotted for these programs that they require? Because that's been a struggle that we've had as well, that, you know, CKLA in the lower grades is two hours a day. And I don't, I think it's pretty typical in international schools. I've only worked in the two TASAS schools, but there's a lot of specialists throughout the day in an international school. And so trying to balance those competing priorities with this demanding curriculum and this much time, I think you just need to be really deliberate and think about what are we willing to sacrifice and how important is this to us? So I think we all kind of went in not really understanding just how much we were going to have to work through those kind of decisions together. Anything else you'd like to add about um, implementing core knowledge in an international setting? Um, yeah, one more thing that I think we are doing better at this year that I think is really important is finding a way to integrate the local culture into that, that idea of knowledge-based curriculum. Um, our, our Portuguese teachers are very skill heavy. And so we've tried to incorporate some Portuguese history and those kind of things into other classes. And it's been really great to see how our teachers have been able to integrate the local culture along with what they're teaching in CKLA. For instance, we have the kindergarten unit on Kings and Queens. And then the teachers, the kindergarten teachers will also bring up the recent leaders of Portugal. So they have this world view, they have this American view, and they've also added that Portuguese. So we spent some time going through the core knowledge sequence and the CKLA domains and all of that and finding the, the, the Portuguese history topics that align with that the most. 
So for example, in sixth grade, they do in CKHG, what do they do? The enlightenment and, and the French revolution. And so one big aspect of Portuguese history are the French invasions. And so we've taken that bit of Portuguese history and integrated it into that French revolution unit. And I think if you can do that deliberately, you know, choose what is most important for your Portuguese or whatever history. We found some experts on our staff that were, maybe they weren't history experts, but they were native Portuguese who know what a Portuguese person should know about their history. We had a team come together and we went through the major events in Portuguese history. We based it off of the Portuguese curriculum. What are those major events and where does it make the most sense to fit them into the sequence? So we were able to match those events up with the appropriate grade. Um, the Portuguese liberal wars were civil wars. So we've matched that with fifth grade where we do teach the U.S. Civil War. And so that's made it a little bit more, less choppy and a little bit more integrated so that there's a better flow of, of that information that kind of makes it just seem like it's more one cohesive whole instead of three different subjects being taught at the same time. Well, I think all of the advice that you've given throughout this uh, chat has been really, really helpful. Um, I've, I've, I've had my questions answered because I've been wondering about, um, especially that American history piece, how you all handle that. Um, we wish you all the best and continued success. Um, I've been talking to your headmaster since before the, it, it, there was even a school um, because he came to our leadership back in 2018. And that's when I first had the opportunity to learn a little bit about what Tassos Portugal was going to be all about. Um, but thank you again, Gina, for taking the time to chat with us. Um, if anyone has any questions about this international setting, can they reach out to you? Of course. My email address is gina.anderson at tassisportugal.org. And tassis is spelled T-A-S-I-S. It stands for the American School in Switzerland. <laughs> Thanks, Gina. We appreciate it. No problem. 